way, and I think that's all of our announcements. Um, I want you to begin today, just take a moment and watch this short video of a reading of Psalm 27, all right? And I, while you're watching, I want you to kind of watch prayerfully and let the words kind of soak in and consider, as you're listening, the wisdom that these words direct us to in relationship with others.
Notice how many of those verses relate to human interaction, right? To relationships, to family, to friendships, to healthy connections between people. And talking about who we should lean upon, right? Like who, who there is in our life that we can lean upon? What, what is a true friend? What is a good brother or sister in Christ? And things like that. How to regard foolish or jealous people? How to deal with them? how to recognize a true friend as opposed to an enemy when they oftentimes look so familiar or so similar, right? Uh, how a child is a reflection of their mother and father. How your life reflects your character, things like that, with other people. How we sharpen one another and how we can guard against pride in ourselves. Then, of course, we have the statement, a quarrelsome wife is like a dripping of a leaky roof in a rainstorm. As a matter of fact, this sentiment is repeated two more times in Proverbs, Proverbs 21.9 and 25.24, both saying the same thing, better to live on the corner of the roof than share a house with a quarrelsome wife. I almost took a picture of my, me living on the corner of my roof. <laughs> but, you know, I, I know that none of us men here know anything about that. We, we have wonderful, very amiable wives, right? I just had to bring it up. I had to, I had to, I had to hone in on that one. But <laughs> there's simply so much rich wisdom just in this one chapter, let alone the rest of the book of Proverbs, right? It's all about the benefit of relationships and what they bring to us and how unhealthy people can destroy or damage relationships very easily with jealousy and things like that. And we all need healthy, godly relationships in our lives, even if we don't realize that we're not thinking about it. You know, I, I've said this in a few other sermons recently, but we've been watching Survivor, so a lot of my illustrations are coming from Survivor these days. But maybe it's apropos because it reflects so much of what you see in Proverbs, right? People stuck on an island, competing, you know, constantly with limited resources, hungry and tired, and you find out what people are really made of under pressure and how they react in relationships under that, that stress. In, I think it's season 30, there's a guy named Dan uh, who gets really mad at another player named Mike uh, for this small infraction, which Mike actually rectified. He actually didn't go through with it. He intended to make this really hurtful move in the game, but then he just caught himself and said, nah, I can't do that. I just can't do that to you guys, right? But just the fact that Mike thought about that, or that he would consider it, consider doing it, made Dan hate Mike just hated him. And for the rest of the game, Mike kept silent as Dan made negative comment one after the other, just attacking his character all the time. And every time Dan was on camera, you could just see just the disdain, the loathing in his face towards the other team members and, and the game as a whole. He was just unhappy, especially towards Mike. He really rolled his eyes all the time towards Mike. And when it came time for the final vote, uh, and Dan had been voted off, you know. Uh, he was now on the jury of the past voters, and, and uh, so he was not in the running anymore for the million dollars. But Mike was, right? Mike was. And as da Dan sat on that ju jury and the camera was on him, his looks towards Mike were just dripping with hatred and jealousy. And, and after the show, apparently, Dan carried on his rant on social media for months, even lying about some of the things that were said on the show to garner favor with people. 
Mike, who seemed to be a, actually a somewhat healthy Christian, won the million dollars at the end of the game. And during that reunion show, Dan was reprimanded by the host uh, and called out for his lies and his negative attitude. And it was a cringeworthy moment to say the least, but it had to be done because Dan had created that unhealthy tension with everybody else around him uh, by his unwise sort of attitude and behavior. He just couldn't control himself. And that's what the Proverbs speak about, right? Survivor is a petri dish of human relationships under pressure and where we witness all the good and all the bad that can come out of a person like like you know, a pressure cooker, unable to hold back the steam, right? They would have probably done well to have a copy of the Proverbs uh, to read around the campfire at night, you know, and you got to wonder how the game would have changed if they did. It may not be the same game anymore. But we need each other. We do need each other, right? But we need those relationships to be guided by God's wisdom and, and in order for him to bring health to our relationships. In the film about a boy, Hugh Grant's character lives this lonely existence, an existence that he refers to as island living, right? And he's quite happy with it, you know, just going on his own, you know, and, and that is this, until this 12-year-old boy befriends him. Suddenly his whole lifestyle is called into question, and in the end, he finds he's happier in community with other people. Here's a short clip of the movie. Thank you. 
I just didn't realize how, I just realized how long that clip is. But, I mean, what a selfish guy. Everything's just about him, right? Even, even with this chance to do something unselfish, he wants to make it about him. I'll, I'll be king of the kids, you know. Everybody will think I'm great or whatever. But today we're going to look at God's wisdom as it applies to our relationships, right? Wise relationships are rooted in a relationship with God. The question becomes for us, are our relationships really rooted in Christ, right? In other words, are they self-serving like that guy or, or are they loving? Are we really loving each other? Relationships are a gift from God. We all know that if we think about it, with the, with the wise actually orienting their relationships around God and around His wisdom, allowing God's Word to permeate and control what, what we do with each other and how we treat each other. Wise relationships have certain characteristics, and one of the first and probably the most important is trust, right? Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 says this, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding, but in all your ways, all your ways, submit to Him, and He will make your paths straight. One way that's done is actually not to go with your gut instinct, not to follow your heart, as people say, in relationships when we confront difficulty together, but rather to seek God in His wisdom and how to react and how to handle situations with other people. Valuing others as fellow creations of God, right? You know, valuing them and seeing them through His eyes. To listen to the words of Proverbs, allowing the truth in these words, uh, these verses, to marinate your soul and bring your emotions under the authority of Christ and under the control of Christ. We live in a society right now where emotion is just freewheeling. You know, it's just it's just crazy. In other words, we take every thought captive to, to Christ, if you remember that verse. Not reacting or acting in damaging ways, but rather ways which bring about life to, to yourself and to others around you. We had a little bump in the road with our foster kids uh, recently. They lied to us about something fairly large, and we had to tell them that relationships cannot really operate well without trust that they broke our trust, that without it, you simply, sometimes, if it's large enough, you can't move forward in the relationship. Now, we all know that we fail each other, right? We, we, we will. We're, we're mature about that. Um, but there are a myriad of little things that, that, that the wise don't elevate to some great breach of trust, right? We don't harp on every little thing. Because due to Christ, we don't operate out of victimhood right? Where every little breach of trust uh, from another creates some major emotional conflict. That's not how you do relationships. We bear with one another. We overlook a lot of things, right? Christians understand human nature. We understand that. And the wise are able to weigh really which issues are relevant to confront and which to simply overlook, and in the small issues where for, is where forgiveness resides, where forgiveness reigns and resides, right? When, uh, when we, we oftentimes must simply bear with one another in love, overlooking a lot of more insignificant issues, as God does with us, 
Think about how many times a day you turn your back on the Lord. You do something that you know is wrong, and God does not crush you for every one of those little things. He doesn't even confront all of them, does he? But overall, trust is our central goal in any relationship. There's a difference, though, in, oh, I was a half an hour late and forgot to call my wife and tell her, as opposed to, I cheated on my wife. Those are two wholly different things, aren't they? But overall, trust is a central goal in any relationship. And when major trust is broken, it can grind a relationship to a halt if there's not forgiveness on the, part that is, uh, on the party that has been offended and there's not repentance from the party uh, on part of the, uh, the offender, right? And we recognize that trust in a relationship with another person has to start with trusting the Lord yourself. It really does. So can you trust God in all your ways, including your relationships, allowing him to have the final say with somebody? When you trust God in all your ways, quote unquote, you don't have to micromanage a relationship and you can let the small things go. You don't have to control everything. If your spouse has friends, you don't get jealous, that's okay. If your friends are hanging out with somebody else, you don't get all jealous, that's okay. When problems arise and you trust God in all things, you don't have to be the savior of every situation. Instead, you can point people back to the one who can actually fix messes well, the Lord himself. Choosing to be wise in our relationships means choosing to give and to receive counsel as well. Proverbs 27, verse 9 says, Perfume and incense bring joy to the heart, and the pleasantness of a friend springs from their heartfelt advice. Been hanging out with this guy outside of 6-8 recently. He calls me all the time and asks me to go hang out and do things together. And It's just been a wonderful friendship. It's just a nice thing. I, I was sitting in with him the other day. I'm like, hey, dude, I'm glad we're hanging out. It's just a refreshment to me. And... He and I sat with him, I think it was last night or the night before, Thursday night. Um, I sat with him and we were just having a hamburger together at this place. And, and uh, I, I thought, you know what? It's really good to hear his voice, to hear what he's saying about issues. It was, it was really good for me. Verse 17, as iron sharpens iron, so one person sharpens another. He sharpens me. The company we keep does matter, doesn't it? And so we should surround ourselves with friends who can speak truth into our lives, like he does with me, which can prove somewhat uncomfortable at times, can it? <laughs> when you sharpen your knife, you know, you don't just lay it on the counter opposite the sharpener and hope, hope like some osmosis happens, right? You have to drag that stone across that blade. You have to create friction in dragging that stone across that blade. But even in that potential friction, something good is happening. There's something sweet happening, right? Proverbs says that earnest counsel is the source of sweetness in your relationship, right? When that person gives you earnest counsel, that's good for you, even though it's uncomfortable at times. So the question must be asked, if you're friends with someone and you see them doing something blatantly sinful or, or destructive, but you never really say anything about it, are you really being a true friend? Are you? 
And the same being true uh, in reverse for your own lifestyle. Are you open to correction from someone who's simply calling you back to healthy standards of Christian, the Christian life as defined by the Scripture? Whether in marriage or friendship, you need a friend who's dependable and honors their commitments. One who isn't going to get up and run and when things get tough, but stays with you through thick and thin. Healthy relationships depend on commitment. They can't be one-sided affairs. I think about my marriage to my wife. We've been married since 1992. Amen to that, right? Like half the time that my mom was married to my father. Still got a whole other lifetime with Kim, right? That's beautiful. Kim has been a very good friend to me over those years. I was talking to a guy the other day. He's 60 years old. 40 years they're, they're celebrating very soon, next month or something like that. 40 years of marriage. God bless them. And it's a wonderful thing. But this is what Proverbs 27.10 addresses. It says, do not forsake your friend or a friend of your family and do not go to your relative's house when disaster strikes you. Better a neighbor nearby than a relative far away. We all need somebody that is close in proximity to be able to, you know, reach out and grasp, actually touch and hug and hold during difficult times, don't we? Geography makes a difference. Proximity makes a difference. And this is why the local church matters so much. Do you value those right around you, those people right around you? Do you create healthy community with others who are pursuing Christ in discipleship relationships themselves with you? Supporting each other in difficult times. Can you rely on the people that are sitting in this room? A wise relationship demonstrates commitment, right? Even if the other person isn't dependable because your life is oriented around God, you'll be there for them when they need it because you are, are modeling Christ and you're not, I mean, that, that, that commitment to him or his commitment to you filters out in your commitment to other people. So on the day of calamity, what a blessing it is to be present for someone during their, their, their time of need. I don't know if you guys know, but IBK, who's usually here, uh, is a boarder in my house. She fell down the stairs the other day and broke her tibia. And it was just such a blessing to be able to whisk her off to the hospital, get her there, you know, arrange for her to go to the next doctor's visit, stuff like that. She's doing okay. She might have to have surgery, but it's just a nice thing to be a friend to somebody. I, I enjoy that. I really do enjoy that. And to know that during your time of need, that would be reciprocated. There's someone there who is available uh, and will help you. Example of this commitment was found in the friendship between Christopher Reeve and Robin Williams. They met at Juilliard and they became lifelong friends. And Reeves recounts Williams' commitment uh, in his autobiography. I don't know if you remember, he had a tragic accident. Uh, I forget what exactly happened. I don't know if he fell off a horse, I think. And um, he was paralyzed, right? And Williams, uh, Robin Williams comes to comfort his friend in his worst time. Reeve wrote this. He says, as the day of the operation drew closer, it be became more and more painful and frightening to contemplate. I had only a 50-50 chance of surviving the surgery. Then, at an especially bleak moment, 
The door flew open, and in hurried a squat fellow with a blue scrub hat and yellow, sur yellow surgical gown and glasses, speaking in a Russian accent. And he announced that he was my proctologist and that he needed to examine me immediately. My first reaction was that I was either on way too many drugs or I did have brain damage. But it was Robin Williams. My old friend had helped to me to know that somehow I was going to be okay. He said he would, he would do anything for me. And I thought, my God, not only do I have Dana and my kids, but I have Robin as a great friend who truly cares. Maybe it can be okay, right? I mean, life is going to be very different, and it's going to be an enormous challenge, but I can still laugh, and there's still some joy. In one humorous act, Williams demonstrated the biblical truths of trust and honesty and commitment to his friend. And Reeves expresses the endless value he received from that relationship and that gift. So good friends, and likewise to be a good friend, we center all things on Christ and his directives for life, taking all thought captive to him. We don't nag, we don't browbeat our friends about little things, but we do confront unhealthy attitudes and behavior when necessary in love. Well, and that takes practice, by the way. We are both open to and we both provide wise counsel in life to our friends. We value our friends, especially those within our own church community, building discipleship relationships in a healthy way, and we encourage people when necessary. But instead of me just preaching at you more, I thought it would be good to just meditate on these verses together for a few minutes. And I want to just read through them slowly once again. So open your pew Bibles to page 451, or Proverbs 27, page 451. And I'm going to read slowly, but listen prayerfully again, and let the Holy Spirit identify one or two or more uh, of these verses which particularly strike you, that you need to hear this morning. You can follow along in your Bibles, but... Keep your Bibles open at the end because I want to have a silent time of reflection. I just want us all to prayerfully reflect over these verses. And I want you to be able to read them again over and over to, silently to yourselves. But I'm going to begin, actually not there, I'm going to begin with Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, and then I'll go straight into Proverbs 27. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways... Submit to him, and he will make your paths straight. Proverbs 27. Do not boast about tomorrow, for you do not know what a day may bring. Let someone else praise you, and not your own mouth, an outsider, and not your own lips. Stone is heavy and sand a burden, but a fool's provocation is heavier than both. Anger is fury, overwhelming, but who can stand before jealousy? Better is open rebuke than hidden love. Wounds from a friend can be trusted, but an enemy multiplies kisses. One who is full loathes honey from the comb, but to the hungry even what is bitter tastes sweet. Like a bird that flees its nest is anyone who flees from home. Perfume and incense bring joy to the heart, and the pleasantness of a friend springs from their heartfelt advice. 
Do not forsake your friend or a friend of your family, and do not go to your relative's house when disaster strikes you. Better a neighbor nearby than a relative far away. Be wise, my son, and bring joy to my heart. Then I can answer anyone who treats me with contempt. The prudent sees danger and takes refuge, but the simple keep going and pay the penalty. Take the garment of one who puts up security for a stranger and hold it in pledge if it is done for an outsider. If anyone loudly blesses their neighbor early in the morning, it will be taken as a curse. A quarrelsome wife is like the dripping of a leaky roof in a rainstorm. Restraining her is like restraining the wind or grasping oil with a hand. As iron sharpens iron, so one person sharpens another. The one who guards a fig tree will eat its fruit, and whoever protects their master will be honored. As water reflects the face, so one's life reflects the heart. Death and destruction are never satisfied, and neither are human eyes. The crucible for silver and the furnace for gold, but people are tested by their praise. Though you grind a fool in a mortar, grinding them like grain with a pestle, you will not remove their folly from them. Be sure you know the conditions of your flocks. Give careful attention to your herds, for riches do not endure forever, and a crown is not secure for all generations. When the hay is removed and new growth appears and the grass from the hills is gathered in, the lambs will provide you with clothing and the goats with the price of a field. You will have plenty of goats milk to feed your family and to nourish your female servants. Take a couple minutes just to prayerfully reflect over those. Father God, we come before you humbled when we read these words, knowing that oftentimes our desires overtake us, our eyes are never satisfied, we are sometimes full of pride or jealousy or hatred, we sometimes don't treat people well. Or we shy away from the conflicts that we should be having. The words that we should be delivering to someone who needs to hear them. We are amateurs at relationship. And you are the expert. We are practicing 
under your guidance. And we ask, Lord, that you would marinate our hearts in these words. Let this wisdom, this discernment, just soak into every fiber of our being. And that when we are tempted to quickly answer or give a harsh word to somebody or be critical or anything like that, that you would interject in the depths of our soul. That you would give us that pause to take time to reflect what would you have us do and say in those moments. Father, I pray for the marriages in this church. And I pray for the future marriages of this church. I pray that they would be 30, 40, 50, 60, 70 years long. That they would be long-lasting, developing, growing, and that you would be at the center of them. That every husband and wife in here would see themselves as under your authority and under your loving guidance in their relationship with that person before them. We pray for the parents and grandparents in this room. We pray that this wisdom would pour out of their mouths onto their children, onto their grandchildren, and even onto their great-grandchildren. And that those children would look back to that person and they would see that their life does reflect you and that that would bring about the respect that they need to have in order to listen to their words. We pray for a change in us. These little incremental changes, those little things that you need to tweak in our hearts, Father God. We, we, we lay on that operating table and we allow you as the great surgeon to do that work on us. Even those things that we don't know we need to adjust. The things that we're blind to, we pray that you would adjust. And we pray that you would use our friends and use our family to further that in us. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Ready for you.